0: Okay. Today's date is March 26, 2023. Welcome. We are reading from the Big Whip of AA, pages 32, where it starts the paragraph, though there is no, we will read up to and including reading the paragraph on page 33, where it says young people may. Um, We're going to have a text reader today and that will be Joyce, she's going to read our text. And then uh, after that, we will have our speaker with a 20 minute share, that will be Gary. So how about if you go ahead, Joyce and start reading our text for us. Thank you, Joyce, a compulsive overeater from Florida. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking career, most of us could have stopped, but the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quiet himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55, after a successful and happy business career, then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital in the meantime. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Even means of, sol- every means of solving his problems, which money could buy was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces and was quickly, quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could therefore thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, There must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them because of this peculiar mental twist already acquired We'll find out, we'll find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years past. Thank you, Joyce. And now I introduce our speaker, Gary D. Go ahead, Gary.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive eater and a member of the Saturday Solutions Group. My name is Gary. And um, I hope I have something to say. Um, you know, this is one of those mornings I just, I just woke up so grateful and so happy this morning that I'm, I'm just kind of um, filled with awe. And, and, uh, and I know that sounds odd, but it renders me kind of speechless. So uh, I hope something comes out okay. I wish I could just take this feeling that I have this morning, this gratitude, and just uh, give it to you. Like, um, Anyhow... Um, uh, this is such an important chapter. This whole this whole chapter is like is essential. It's the first step. And um, some of you are old enough to remember. There used to be a, a, a comic strip by about a guy named Andy Cap. Um, and I remember this one comic strip where you know he's an alcoholic and he's walking past this pub and. Um, He's struggling to walk past the pub, and like as he's walking, he's saying to himself, "You can do it, Andy. You can get past this. You can get past." And he's really struggling, sweating to get past the pub. And he gets to the other side of the pub, and he says to himself, "Well done, mate. Let me buy you a drink to celebrate." Um, and that—that's uh, the kind of logic I had around every diet, around every. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I did this, um, you know, diet for a long time, and. Uh, a friend of mine says addicts are people who figure out what works and then stop doing it, um, and that's uh, that's kind of what what happens. Uh, you know, certainly before I got here, my last diet, my last real diet, um, about four years before I got to OA, I went on a, on a medical diet. It was food, like it wasn't chemicals or anything, but it was but it was a diet, and um, I lost one hundred and fifteen pounds, and. When I lost 115 pounds, I, um, I traveled, I, I, went, I went to see my, I was then married to my first wife, uh, who's uh, my second favorite, my second most favorite wife. Um, and uh, I went to see her parents, I went to see my in-laws to show them that I was thin so they wouldn't be worried. And then I flew, I was, in, I was living in Ohio and I was in graduate school and I, I flew to New York to show my father that I was thin and therefore a good boy. Because in my family, thin and good boy kind of uh, went together. Like, you could be Jack the Ripper, Ripper, but if you were a thin Jack the Ripper, you were still a good boy. Um, so I went to show him, and I did. And, uh, and I remember I was staying at the Taft Hotel on 52nd Street, and walking back to the hotel, so I showed him. And walking back, I had the thought, like, mission accomplished. Like, <laughs> you did the diet, you lost the weight, you're good now. And I stopped at a deli and ordered an, an inordinate amount of food to bring back to the hotel with me. And um, from the 115 that I lost, I gained back 130 seemingly overnight, seemingly within a couple of days. I'm 130 pounds per year, pounding the bar again. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? Um, and uh, similar stuff has happened in, re- in recovery. Uh There are four stories in this chapter, and they're they're really worth paying attention to. There are four stories in this chapter, if you include the jaywalker. And each one of them suffers from uh, their relapse. And and somebody I love and respect very much refers to this chapter as more about relapse. Uh, Because if you speak to people who relapse, you will see that their relapse began with one of the four things going on in this chapter, with something happening here. like the Jay Walker, can't get the Jay Walker idea out of his head. This guy, fall, I love this phrase, falls victim to a belief. Falls <laughs> victim to a belief. The, uh, the 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 milk and the whiskey guy famously says, suddenly I had a thought. You know, it's all about this thought. Um, and uh, the, the guy who goes to Washington, D.C. on uh, uh, business, just as he's crossing the threshold, the thought occurs to him that it would be nice to have a highball. Just, you know, like... Um, So the chapter makes it very clear that where the problem really lies is in our thinking and in our minds. And um, uh, the the doctor's opinion does a great job about part of the first step. It talks about the allergy and it talks somewhat about the mental twist, but it focuses on the allergy. But my experience is that abstinence alone will treat treat, uh, the allergy. That's why I was able to diet for over a year and lose 115 pounds. Abstinence alone will treat the allergy. Um, with a peculiar mental twist, which is another way of saying that we are just bat shit crazy. I'm sorry, bat stuff crazy. Um, We are. The second step tells us that we're insane. Uh, I I was taught that if you have an eating disorder, it means you're profoundly mentally ill. We are in the, even compulsive eating is in the DSM-5. We are, you know, we are diagnosable, Um, which is why some insurance pays for treatment. uh, Anyhow, uh, that's that's all a side thing. Um, but it's guarding against thoughts that's the real issue. Because it, it, as he says in here, the real problem is if I did not pick up the first bite, I would not start the allergy. I start the allergy because of some strange mental twist, some thought. Um, and I've had this in recovery. You know, I, I, I've been in, in uh, OA 34 and a half years. In that time, I have not eaten sugar. Knowingly eating sugar. I'm sure I've ordered a diet coke and somebody brought me a Coke or something like that or a sauce and something I ate at a restaurant. But um I haven't knowingly eaten sugar and um I haven't eaten any of the crap I don't eat. I haven't eaten anything that I don't eat. But um I've overeaten, I've lost my abstinence. And every time I've lost my abstinence three times, and each time I lost it started with this thought that oh, an extra piece of fruit on her, an extra slice of this, an extra you know. In our literature, in um, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, Roseanne, our founder talks about early OA and how many people got abstinent and then slowly but surely start nibbling. This is the phrase she uses and I love it. She says, nibbling their way back to obesity. Uh they call them? nibbling our way back to obesity? And that's what, what happens when you just uh, start forgetting what it means to be a compulsive eater that I can't pick up even, even one drop. Um, I remember once I was gaining weight, no, I convinced I was abstinent because I wasn't eating any of my crap, and uh, I was gaining weight, and I said to my friend Teresita, I said, "Uh, I don't know what's going on, I'm abstinent, and I'm gaining weight, and she said, well, if you're gaining weight, what are you abstaining from? (laughs) It's not overeating, (laughs) because if you're gaining weight, like, you know, that's how it works, (laughs) And of course I wanted to hit her my first response was to smack her um but but I had to own that and that's what I love always definition of abstinence for the last 3 years it's been it's been it, it was in 2019 it became the definition then it wasn't in 2020 and then in 22 it became the definition again but always definition of abstinence is refraining from the action of compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight um that I know, like I have a food plan, um, and I follow my food plan, and my food plan helps me be abstinent, but my food plan isn't my abstinence. My abstinence is that is I'm refraining from those actions and working toward maintaining a healthy body weight. And that's a pretty easy thing to check for me. It makes abstinence as clear as sobriety. Um, you know, any. I'm, again, I'm, I'm getting off topic, but I don't know. I don't know why I do this. Um, he made up his mind that he would not drink. Uh, I have a friend, Bill, Rick, and I have a friend named, named Bill, who, um, an a who didn't drink for 22 years before he got to. AI. And here's the thing it doesn't mention this here, but this guy didn't drink for 25 years, and it doesn't say what he was like for those 25 years. You know, we have this guy, a friend named Bill, who was an alcoholic, didn't drink for 22 years. And he says all the time, for 22 years, he was just a miserable bastard. He just really was. And I can tell you, during the year, year and a half that I was losing the 115 pounds, I was just a prick. I was terrible. I was mean. I was nasty. was And because I was mean and nasty and upset, because I was terrified. There are pictures of me at the time. You can see the terror in my eyes. I had no idea how to live, no idea how to talk to people, what to say, how to behave. um I was terrified and out of that terror i developed this self the self defensive kind of nastiness um man one of the nice things about recovery is in order to recover i need to love my fellows and love god um what a lovely, you know like what a great way to recover what a happy joyous way to be um Yeah, uh, so it it doesn't tell you what he was like, but I'm willing to bet he was not. He had a great career, and I'm willing to bet he wasn't the nicest guy to work with. I'm willing to—I'd put money on uh, it—that he wasn't the most pleasant. Um, uh, He says, "You know, I don't know about this part, but this might be true for alcoholics. I don't think it's true for me with food. Uh, That early in our drinking, eating career, I might have been able to stop." I have been a compulsive eater as long as I can remember. I have memories of 3 years old. Um I think I think it's one of the um, I think it's one of the distinctions between compulsive eating and, and alcoholism. I have memories of three. I don't know any any alcoholics who started drinking at three. I mean, they might have been alcoholic at three, but they weren't drinking at three. Uh, I was already acting out in behaviors. So I don't know. Um this contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we can thereafter drink normally. Um, and this is an idea that's reiterated at the, at the bottom of that paragraph, That I really want to uh, talk about. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, no lurking notion that someday he will be immune to alcohol. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, food is such a mind uh, thing, such a such a mind screw. Right? Like, um, you know, when they talk about alcohol as being cunning and baffling and powerful, um, alcohol might be as powerful as food, but I don't think it's as cunning or as baffling. Food food is just so much. The lies food tells me are so much better. I remember when um, when Whole Foods changed the list on their ingredients from sugar. They took out the word sugar and they replaced it with evaporated cane juice crystals. Um, I have a PhD in literature and I read that description, uh, evaporated cane juice crystals. And I spent like the rest of that day walking up and down the aisles going, can I eat that? Can I not eat that? Is that okay? Is it not? A-? I mean, what else can evaporated cane juice crystals be but sugar, but I become an idiot uh, just on the possibility that maybe I could eat it. You know, um, uh, my thinking is that of a compulsive eater. I, I am recovered. I, I I haven't had cravings for the foods I don't eat in decades. And I very seldom have any. I don't really have cravings for more food. I sometimes have a food thought. Uh, but the difference between a thought and an obsession is clear to anybody who's ever had an obsession. And um, uh, I get these emails. I don't know why I get them. I've, I've never uh, shopped on any of these sites. But I get these emails that say things like, Drink this tea, lose seventeen pounds in a minute and a half. You know, like, uh, and I get like three or four of those emails every day. They're like, and um, I don't open them. I know they're they're like, you know, before I got here, every doctor in the country tried to sell me some nonsense, uh, some pill or something to take care of my problems. So I know they're nonsense, and it still messes with my brain. You know, it's still like, really seventeen pounds in a day? Like, <laughs> really, all I gotta do is drink this tea? Um, and I know it's ridiculous, and still, my brain, uh, it, those ads do something to me that they do not do to normal people. Those, those ads are made for people like me, who have spent my whole life um, trying to be a good boy by being thin. Um, it turns out I'm a good boy whether I'm thin or not, but uh, and I'm not a boy anymore. Um, he felt victim to the belief. What a great phrase. Um, and then young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop as they do on their own willpower. If diets are working, listen, there's a lot of denigration here of pay and weigh places, and uh, our literature says not to do that. Our literature says that's a bad idea uh, because that's an outside issue, Um, but they're great if you have a weight problem. If your only problem is weight, You pay some money, go someplace to put you on a diet, you lose some weight. And if that's the only problem, that's great. They just don't treat what I have. What I have isn't treated by losing weight. I've proved that by losing weight a dozen times and gaining more back. Um, What I'm concerned with, you know, we live and work this program one day at a time. I can't tell you how long I've made it through an early recovery by saying, you know, there was something I was craving that night, I said, well, if you still feel this way tomorrow, you can eat it. And then the next day I would say, well, if you still feel this way tomorrow, you can eat it. And that, and that went on and that went on and that went on for years. So a day at a time is really how we live this thing. But I'm not here for a day's absence or a day's recovery. Uh, in the AA 12 and 12, Bill Wilson talks about permanent and contented, permanent and contented sobriety. Our literature, the OA 12 and 12, on page 69 of the OA 12 and 12, it talks about the promise of permanent recovery, the promise of permanent recovery. Um, now, I don't know that my like I am recovered today. I don't know that I'll be recovered tomorrow. I don't know, I don't know that I'll be alive tomorrow. Um but I'm banking on it. You now I'm banking on it. I'm putting, I'm putting all my hopes, all my dreams, all my life plans, all my experiences, I'm putting all that, all my hope uh, on the idea of permanent recovery. I hope never to go back to where I've been. And, and here's what each time I've relapsed, here was the comforting thought that I really had to deal with. At one point I gained quite a bit of weight, like 30 pounds. And um uh but I was still like hundred pounds 110 pounds lighter than I was when I got here. So it was this comforting thought that I never went back to where I was. Um and those of us who have been severely insane, um, sometimes take comfort by just being somewhat insane like somewhat insane is a lot better than severely insane but it's still insane you <laughs> know it's still insane and uh there I have to battle with that thought that this is good enough um you know for the longest time in OA I thought that just not feeling terrible was good you know I, I thought no longer hating myself and no longer being physically uh, inept and um uh, not you know, I, I thought not feeling terrible was good. I thought that was the goal. And then afterwards, I guess around five, seven years of recovery somewhere in there, I discovered this other thing called happiness. Uh, and it really is a remarkable like uh, I, I lived just a remarkably happy life. Uh, the, 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 the forward to the OA to the AA 12 and 12 says the 12 steps are a group of principles spiritual in nature um which you've practiced as a way of life. Not have done once and then bragged about for 30 years, but have practiced as a way of life, where we move the obsession to drink or to eat and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole. I've got to say, that's what happened to me. Um, I live this way of life. I practice 10, 11 every day. I go through the steps regularly. Regularly, I redo the steps. Um, I live a 12-step way of life, which... If you're new here, you hear a lot about working the steps and working the steps. I got to tell you, it's the most joyous way of life I've ever encountered. I don't know anybody who lives this way of life who's asked for their money back. Everybody I know loves this thing. Um, anyhow, that's what's happened to me. I've been made happily and usefully whole. And, and we are made useful in a way, and we have literature that says this. There's a great pamphlet called If God Spoke to an, to an OA. Um that um, it talks about the fact that we are able to be useful in a way that nobody else can be useful. Like, you know, doctors and therapists and priests and rabbis and, and imams, none of them can do, unless they're a compulsive eater, none of them can be useful in the way that, that, that we can be useful and that I can be useful. And um, The peculiar t- mental twist. Uh, my sponsor told me I was crazy and he told me to embrace that fact embrace that fact and work with it. Um and I encourage any newcomer to do the same. If you have an eating disorder, uh it's called a disorder for a reason. Uh there is great freedom in this. There's great, great, great freedom in this. I'm starting to ramble because I think I've really run out of stuff to talk about, even though I have two minutes and 24 seconds left. So um uh I'm gonna close by saying what what I you know what is true for me. Um God, this program and you people have given me a life, uh, not just saved my life, but given me a life worth living. And if if there's ever anything I can do to return the favor, please let me know.